Welcome to Surveillance Report 68, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. First, we're both wishing you a happy holidays and a happy new year. We are recording this on Christmas Day, so that's going to come with some shortcomings. Mainly, my audio won't be the best. I'm recording on just my laptop microphone, and I will have no video for you video listeners. Nate should be all normal, though. Outside that, this report recaps the most notable events in the last week, including pretty normal data breaches, company news, Log4j updates, a DuckDuckGo desktop browser, and more. I am Henry from TechLore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. This week, our promo is going to be Abine Delete Me. I figured this was a good one because they have some family deals and you might be with some of your family members. So if you're looking for a service that will actively try and clean up all of your probably previously exposed data out on the internet, Abine Delete Me is a pretty great service that I use as well as I believe my editor uses it. And we both use it to pretty much help keep our online footprint a little bit more under control. And they have some family packages if you wanted to do it with some of your family members or solo or you just don't want to at all. That's fine. This is just our own little self-promo that we're putting out there as a support method if you're interested in this. Outside of that, I'm going to go ahead and move into data breaches. So this week, the UK government has shared 585 million passwords with Have I Been Pwned. For those who don't know, Have I Been Pwned is a pretty common website that you can use to search for any data breaches. So you can type in your email and it'll tell you if it's been caught in a data breach before. You can check it out. You can type in HIBP or Have I Been Pwned into any search engine. The UK's National Crime Agency has contributed all these passwords and this comes from a investigation of cybersecurity incidents. So it came from an undisclosed cloud storage location belonging to a UK business that quote, unidentified threat actors were using to deposit compromised data. Have I Been Pwned's Pwned Passwords project lets law enforcement agencies in multiple countries add passwords found during investigations. Thus, other services use the Pwned Passwords API can protect their users against account takeover attacks. It seems like we don't really quite know what this came from, and I'm sure we might hear down the road if it came from any specific company. But really, the only fun thing is Have I Been Pwned now has 847 million passwords. I don't know if we're cheering for that or if we're a little uh, about that. <laughs> Our next story comes from Albania, where prosecutors are looking into a huge suspected leak of personal data. This affected 633,000 citizens. It exposed monthly salaries, job positions, employer names, and ID numbers. This was from both the public and private sector. It is suspected that this information came from the tax service or the Social Insurance Institute. That's really all we know. If you read the article, there's some speculation that also maybe this was a politically motivated data breach. They didn't really provide any reason why. They, they just kind of gave some background. Apparently, political parties have like doxed the other parties in the past in Albania, so yikes. But yeah, that's kind of all we know. If we hear anything more relevant, we'll keep you updated. Up next, Ubisoft has confirmed a Just Dance data breach amid a developer exodus. This is a result of a misconfiguration that has since been fixed. So Ubisoft did not say how many people were affected. This impacted data did include gamer tags, profile IDs, device IDs, and videos that were being uploaded to be shared publicly. Kind of the main takeaways here, make sure to enable 2FA if it's ever an option. And Ubisoft is now encouraging password resets. So go ahead and change your passwords if you have a Ubisoft account. I also want to mention here that this affected people playing Just Dance, so I assume this is going to include some child data. Just a little side note that I think is not really being talked about in much of this article. Our next data breach comes from Pro Wrestling Tees. Interestingly, this is a website that apparently works directly with actual pro wrestlers, so this isn't like a third-party website. This is like an official outlet for official merch, apparently. So this affected 31,000 customers and exposed full credit card numbers with name and CVV. At this time, it's not clear how, 
but it is most likely a mage cart skimmer, which we've talked about before. That's when malware abuses the JavaScript on the checkout page and steals your card number as you're checking out. The takeaway from this one is just to use payment masking, privacy.com or prepaid gift cards, or I've heard even some banks are now offering virtual debit cards. So you may want to call your bank and see if that's a thing they do. Fortunately, this is becoming more and more of an option for more people. Up next, a phishing incident has caused a data breach at West Virginia hospitals. So the number impacted has not been disclosed, but access lasted from May 10th to August 15th, which is what over, man, May, June, July, August. That's like like three to four months. Crazy. And it affected two hospitals. They claimed the goal was to get funds via wire fraud, but data exposed still included social security numbers, medical treatment information, and more. Just another reminder that phishing is a pretty massive deal and it's probably one of the most successful versions of a attack that can be done against you. And our last data breach comes from the Microsoft Azure App Service. I'm gonna quote the article, a security flaw found in the Azure App Service, a Microsoft managed platform for building and hosting web apps, led to the exposure of PHP, Node, Python, Ruby, or Java customer source code for at least four years since 2017, unquote. This interestingly only affected Linux servers and did not affect Windows. This was discovered by the researchers at wiz.io. And the reason we're sharing this in the data breach section is because the researchers believe that it is very likely to have been exploited in the wild. The reason they believe that is they kind of built their own honeypot server that was similar to the Microsoft one. And they did see a lot of port scanning, although they do admit that could have been standard bots just doing their thing. They dubbed this vulnerability not legit and it has been patched. That's the good news. So keep your stuff updated. And that was it for data breaches this week. We're now gonna transition into companies and we're gonna start with Google Fit for iOS can measure heart and respiratory rates using just your iPhone's cameras. Heart rate measurements start by placing your finger on the rear facing camera lens and applying light pressure. Allegedly it tracks subtle skin color changes to approximate blood flow. There have been apps that have done this in the past. This isn't something new, but it's being a little bit more normalized now through Google's actual official Google Fit app. Android phones and pixels especially already have this capability, but this iOS capability is absent even in support documents. I personally, this is my opinion, I question its accuracy because even wrist-based heart rate monitors are susceptible to inaccuracies, depending on how accurate you're trying to go. And I can't even imagine what that looks like with a camera. So not only should you be aware of its possible limitations going forward, we would also just be aware of biometric advancements in general and the privacy implications that come along with those. Our next company story comes from WhatsApp, who is now allowing users to hide profile data and last seen. This is available on the desktop beta client and is already being rolled out to some Android and iOS users. It is expected to go into the desktop stable client once they finish rolling it out to all mobile users, but there's really no word on when they're going to finish rolling it out to mobile users. It's nice to have some surface level privacy features to see people and companies like starting to offer more privacy options to consumers. Although it is important to note that especially with WhatsApp, this has nothing to do with metadata. I mean, it is nice again, that they're offering that privacy from other random strangers, but of course the company still has access to an immense trove of user data that should be worrisome for WhatsApp users. And our final company article of the week, Windows 10 21H2, fantastic name, adds ransomware protection to security baseline. 21H2 means second half of 2021. So for those of you who want to know how Windows does its naming schemes. The big feature is ransomware protection. Once you've enabled it, operators should have a much harder time disabling Windows protection. So this should just be a slight security improvement in regards to ransomware. And I'm sure that this is all going to be great for now. And we'll see some other mitigations and we're gonna see the constant cat and mouse game continue for years to come. But 
we're still happy to see this. That is all we have for companies this week. We're going to move into research and we're going to start off with our latest round of Log4j and Log4Shell updates. For a story, Apache has issued a third patch, which caused uncontrolled recursion. In other words, you kind of DOS attacked yourself, so they issued a fourth patch to fix that. The Conti ransomware gang, they are the first ones to have a full attack chain that exploits Log4Shell for ransomware purposes. So I believe the article said it, and it walks you through exactly how they do it. I think Log4Shell is the initial entry, and then they just chain a whole bunch of exploits from there. It's pretty impressive. Belgium's defense ministry has admitted to being a victim of a cyber attack that utilized Log4Shell. Google and Microsoft are also confirming that they are seeing state hacker groups really leverage Log4Shell. So I'm sure that's not a surprise for anybody, but now that this vulnerability is out there, and especially now that it's publicly known, state hackers are ramping up their use of it. CISA has released a scanner to help people identify potential vulnerabilities in their own networks. NVIDIA is one of the latest companies to provide a list of impacted products and applications. It looks like it mostly impacts enterprise stuff, but of course, if you have any NVIDIA products in your devices, feel free to take a look. And finally, the Department of Homeland Security has added Log4J to their bug bounty program. I believe we actually talked about that bug bounty program last week. The article didn't say how much they're paying for it. I guess it probably depends on what vulnerabilities you're able to exploit. We're gonna move on to our next research story. This is a quick one. It says an iframe from googlesyndication.com tries to access the camera and microphone. This is a blog post, I think on Medium, where I believe they said they were using Safari and they noticed that safeframe.googlesyndication.com kept attempting to access his microphone. So he did some research and googlesyndication.com is part of Google's ad system. He really has no idea why they are trying to access his microphone for ads. The lesson here is to make sure that you are changing your browser settings, make sure that your browser has to ask before enabling the microphone to the camera, put tape over the camera. One thing Michael Basil says is he'll take an old pair of headphones and he'll cut them very carefully so they don't short. And then he'll just leave that plugged into his phone all the time. So if anybody tries to turn on the microphone, it defaults to the headset that's not actually there. Just don't underestimate that, man. Make sure you're thinking about this stuff and coming up with solutions. Our final research story, a honeypot experiment reveals what hackers want from IoT devices. IoT is Internet of Things. These are things like your smart thermostat and your smart TV, which everyone loves. So researchers used three honeypots to emulate different environments using BusyBox, Windows IoT devices, and IP cameras. They got over 22.6 million hits in about two years, and they noticed several patterns, including attempting bad credentials automatically, like admin slash one, two, three, four, any other common passwords you hear about. Um, and ultimately, most of the BusyBox and camera devices were targeted to be used in DDoS attacks, botnets, and crypto miners, which are kind of like taking control of many devices to use them towards one massive attack on someone else. So really the takeaways here, change default passwords on all of your IoT devices, separate them with a VLAN, keep it updated, or just don't buy them in the first place if you can avoid getting IoT devices as security is still very much a new thing for them. With that, we will move into politics. I will start off with just a quick thanks to everyone who messaged us this past week and explained the whole Indian voting registration thing to me. We got several emails and messages. The part that I was missing, in case anyone else is wondering, Adhar is not the official government ID. That's what I didn't know. I thought that was the official government state ID. It turns out it's not. It's it's more of a private thing that is just becoming so ubiquitous and common that it's being used in lieu of official IDs. And so understanding that, now I see why it is obviously extra concerning that they want to link your Adhar with your voting ID. And also now I understand how you can register to vote without showing Adhar. So thank you for everyone who 
wrote in and let us know about that. That is very, very concerning. Several of the people who contacted us actually included some links for activist groups in India who are trying to fight this. So if you are from India and you are concerned by this, we will link those in the show notes. Thanks for the PSA, Nate. And now I'm going to go ahead and transition into our next article. Feds have admitted to tracking 33 million mobile phone devices during lockdowns. The Canadian Public Health Agency has admitted to using cell tower data to understand public responsiveness due to the urgency of the pandemic. Just so you know, this is something called cell tower triangulation, where essentially your phone is constantly pinging a cell tower to try to figure out what the best cell tower is so that you get the best speeds. The problem is if you have two, three, four cell towers that your phone's constantly pinging, it can actually give cell carriers an exact location of where your phone is. The Canadian Public Health Agency has pretty much admitted to doing this. So this whole program is being proposed for a five-year extension. By the way, as far as we know, I don't think that this was publicly announced to people that they were doing this before they started doing it. And now they're saying it's going to be extended for five years, as if it was ever really originally proposed. So they claim the data cannot be tied to individuals, but as we always say, you can't anonymize location data. A person went to the store, went home, stayed at home for eight hours to sleep, went to work, and they all repeated that the same day every day. That's not anonymized. It can be tied to individuals regardless of what they say. Also, I say famous last words because this is what always happens. They say it can be anonymized and down the road, things are de-anonymized and they're leaked and they move from the politics section to the data breaches section of the surveillance report. <coughs> Our next story comes from the EU where a German court is proposing to ban cookie management providers based in the US. This comes from the Wiesbaden Administrative Court. They have issued a decision that companies cannot use cookie management providers that have any US-based software, even if the data never leaves the EU. So the example they use in this article is a company called CookieBot, who is based in the EU, and they provide those really annoying banners that are like, do you consent to using cookies and blah, blah, blah. Well, CookieBot uses Akami, Akamai, I don't know how that's pronounced, which is a content delivery network that's based in the US. They either have to stop using Akamai or they have to stop collecting EU citizen data, even though they're not sending any data to Akami. It's interesting. It's very aggressive. This isn't like a formal ruling, so it can still evolve, especially as it proceeds down the legal pipeline. But yeah, it's interesting to see Germany come hot out the gate with something that aggressive. It's worth mentioning this can impact companies reliant on Akami CDN. Apple uses the CDN. A lot of places do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of something to think about, like how will this impact Apple in Germany? Good question. We'll see. Up next, the headline, How We Fought an Anti-Encryption Law in Belgium and Won. Great. So the TLDR here is that Belgium proposed a law that would have required all encrypted messengers to implement a backdoor for only the good guys, which we know isn't quite possible, but many politicians think it is possible. Thankfully, due to public outcry that this was in fact impossible, this piece of legislation has been dropped. My thoughts here, I think we won the battle, but we still are nowhere near close to winning the war. I think governments are not going to stop until we formally found a way to guarantee no backdoors and encryption. So it's something that I think is great in Belgium, but we really need to still watch this going forward because many countries want to implement backdoors. And our last political story comes from the Ministry of Commerce in China, and they have issued a new decision that foreign encryption over 256 bits must have an import permit. This sounds really bad on its face, but apparently there's actually still a lot of questions about this. For example, does that include encryption software like Veracrypt, for example? It is not encrypted, but it 
is capable of encrypting things at over 256 bits. And there's also a lot of questions about where does this rule apply? Are there specific end uses? Like, you know, this is a military thing or a private thing. Even despite the questions, I would say this is still not good because, you know, they're weakening the security of whoever that rule applies to. And that's it for politics. We're now going to transition into the FOSS news, free and open source. And we're going to go ahead and start with DuckDuckGo, who is building the privacy super app. So DuckDuckGo is now building a desktop browser. We have mentioned this in the past when it was more of a rumor, but now it's becoming more of an official thing. They claim it will offer, quote, robust privacy protection by default. It will not, this is really important, this will not be a Chromium fork or any kind of fork. So they're... As far as I can tell, building their own web engine, which should be very interesting, that they claim is faster than Chrome. The Verge says a Mac beta is already available with a Windows beta coming soon. So this is already coming out to some people. I'd be very curious to hear how this web engine is going to compare with Chromium and whatnot from a security standpoint, from a speed standpoint, from just a compatibility standpoint. Very curious to see what this looks like. And I'd be curious to see what Nate's thoughts are on it. I'm mostly kind of waiting to see. I'm really interested because they said in the blog post that they're still going to use rendering capabilities in Windows and Mac, but that pretty much all that can do is load a web page. And I don't know, it kind of went over my head, but it sounds like they're using a small set of the native capabilities that come in Windows and Mac and then building everything else themselves. So like I said, I'm kind of a wait and see, but I, I will be interested to see how much of it they open source, if any of it. And I also know right now there's a lot of like, a lot of people don't like Brave because it's based on Chromium in the sense of like you're feeding into this monopoly. But then a lot of those same people also dislike Mozilla because they make a lot of questionable business decisions. So it's like, oh, it kind of sucks that we don't have a good third option. And I do kind of wonder if this will be a third option in the future. I tried to find the beta and I couldn't. So I assume it's a very closed beta or maybe I just couldn't find it. I don't know if anyone finds it, let us know how to do it. All right, our next story is a real quick one. It comes from Session. It says peer-to-peer -peer calls are live in closed beta. If you are interested in testing that out, they have instructions in the blog post. Unfortunately, it only works with other people who are in the closed beta. So you would have to convince anyone you know who uses Session to go ahead and join the closed beta as well. But yeah, if you know anyone who's in the closed beta, then this is your opportunity to go ahead and test that out. On the topic of messengers, the Signal founder, Moxie, went off on Telegram, on Twitter. We don't normally include stories like this. Really the main takeaway here is we just wanted to talk about Telegram's problems. So pretty much I'm quoting his tweet, Telegram stores all your contacts, groups, media, and every message you've ever sent or received in plain text on their servers. From the server's perspective, not from a public world perspective. The app on your phone is just a view onto their servers where the data actually lives. So I think really by default, Telegram is not fantastic for privacy and security. This is kind of just us outlining that you need to use secret chats in order to get any kind of end-to-end -end encryption on Telegram. Moxie actually compares this to Facebook Messenger and its secret chat feature and how Telegram and Facebook Messenger are effectively the same product. That doesn't include usability and whatnot, just from a privacy security perspective. Just something to think about when you're using Telegram. And we really, really are strong proponents of Signal, despite we have major criticisms of Signal as well, if you listen to surveillance reports. But I think overall, it's a great product. And also there's Session as well that Nate just talked about. And there's other resources on both of our websites for other messengers. Our next story is another really quick one. It comes from France, where SIB is using Nextcloud in schools. To quote the article, SIB is a major global public actor of digital services that supports healthcare structures and public entities in their digital transformation. The initial deployment is serving five middle schools, which is approximately 12,000 users. 
This number will be risen to 33,000 pupils and 2,500 teachers in 57 middle schools step by step. They also said that they will be using Collabora online in order to avoid compatibility issues with like different versions of Microsoft Word and stuff like that. So this is really cool. I've said before, I really think open source should be used more in the public sphere because I personally have an issue with tax dollars being used for proprietary systems that you're not allowed to look inside. I also have a personal Nextcloud server that I use just for friends and family, and it is amazing, and I love it. Any issues I have are 99% user error, so I think this is really awesome and a great step forward, and I'm happy for Nextcloud and also the students of France. And our final open source news for the week has to do with Steam, which is not open source, but in regards to the operating system, Linux, which you can kind of use Steam on, as we'll talk about. So Steam works on Linux perfectly fine, unless you're Linus uh, doing a Pop! OS video. <laughs> but game compatibility is a little bit mixed on Steam, but here's a great little research article. 80% of the top 100 games work on Linux, 40% of the top 10. So this is largely community driven with people reporting issues to be fixed. So we just wanted to share that Linux gaming is getting pretty darn good. Quite not as good as Windows, of course, but it's still getting really good. So if you're a Linux gamer, continue to do your part, keep reporting bugs and keep using Steam on Linux if you can to really represent the Linux community. And just a shout out to that one person in the comments, Civilization 6 is available on Linux and it's better than Civ 5. Go ahead and get it. And that brings us to our last section, which is Misfits, and this week we only have one Misfit story. The headline says, All-in-One SEO Vulnerability Affects Over 3 Million Sites. The article says security researchers at Jetpack discovered two serious vulnerabilities in the all-in-one SEO plugin. The vulnerabilities could allow an attacker to access username and passwords and also perform remote code execution exploits. The article says that the vulnerabilities were dependent on each other and relied on SQL injection here in almost 2022, and we still have issues with SQL injection. The good news is they have been patched, so if you are using this plugin, go ahead and update. Man, I don't mean to rag on WordPress, but maybe reconsider, because it seems like every week or every couple of weeks we're talking about some new WordPress vulnerability. Just remember to keep your stuff updated and use as few plugins as possible, just like a regular web browser. And that's going to wrap up all the news for the week. We had some really interesting news like the DuckDuckGo desktop browser. Um, we also had the Steam games. We have the SEO vulnerability. We have a lot of just normal data breaches and company news. And of course, Log4j updates. So it's been kind of a small week, but that's kind of what I like to have at the end of the year. This week, again, is brought to you by Abine Delete Me. Not actually brought to you by them. This is our choice. I always have to say that. So it's Abine Delete Me. It's our own affiliate link that we're choosing to share with you. Pretty much if you're here with your family and they're listening to this and you want to get them involved with a program that's going to help with people searching websites, Avine Delete Me is a great service and they might have Christmas deals. I should have looked at that before I recorded this. But either way, it's still a great service that both I use and our editor uses. Either way, it's a service that I really enjoy and definitely go ahead and check it out in the description. And just to wrap things up, we want to thank you for listening to the surveillance report. We are just happy to know you're trying to stay safe out there. And the final thing we always ask you to do is to share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed and definitely give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us directly to do that. Thanks again for listening, everybody. See you next week, and once again, happy holidays.